and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have made them become more real to us because we believe we draw more power out of them that way and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Muelstein, and I'm thrilled to have with me today uh, a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Jan Martin, uh, who teaches in the same department that I do. And uh, had she, I know she did her education in England. We'll let her tell you a little bit about that. And uh, she's a, a scholar in a number of things, but particularly in uh, the King James uh, Bible and, and translations associated with that uh, and era of translation, uh, uh, Wycliffe and others. So uh, welcome, Jan. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Carrie. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, Jan. Well, I grew up kind of all over the western part of the U.S. My dad was in the military and then in the FBI, so we moved around a lot when I was young. So born in San Diego, then moved around to Arizona, Albuquerque, New Mexico, different places. Ended up in Utah uh, when I was about 10, and then that's where I've kind of remained. But um, I did my undergraduate at BYU and a master's at BYU in exercise physiology. Then I became a seminary teacher, and then I moved to England to do graduate work some more. So I did another master's and a PhD over there in history, emphasizing uh, English translations of the Bible in the 16th century. So. Yeah. So Tyndale and I, that's, if I have yeah. a Tyndale question, I go to you and so on. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, I love the Bible and love how we got it. And um, yeah, here we are. Well, good. Good. So glad and, and glad to have you with us. I've always enjoyed hearing you on other podcasts and, and glad to have you uh, here with us. So yeah. uh, this week we're, we're doing uh, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount as the reading for Come Follow Me, and uh, I'd just love to talk about uh, something from that uh, sermon that has become real for you. Yeah, um, I mean, the sermon is so much fun, and, you know, we, we want to talk about how to make it real for us, um, but one thing I would recommend to listeners is realizing that there's several different versions of the sermon. We have the Matthew version, a little short version in Luke, um, a lovely version in Third Nephi, and then Joseph Smith did a really great version of the JST. So I just recommend right off the bat that, that people get all those out. And it's really fun to look at them simultaneously. I just made myself a little chart one day, so it's easier. And I've got them. And so that's fun. I'm not going to do that today, but I would recommend people just have some fun uh, with looking at the beautiful things that the third Nephi version adds and the JST adds. Um, there's some important things there. Um, but I don't want to spend our time on that. I just tossed that out there as a, as a fun suggestion for Good. students who are trying to make their scriptures a little more in-depth and um, do a little more scholarship, a little more reading. Um, but for me, I have studied the Beatitudes a lot, and it just suddenly started to dawn on me that there was more to them than just what other people have said to be a description of the character of Christ. I think that's Harold B. Lee that teaches that, um, that this is a constitution for the righteous and for the kingdom of God. I've seen that interpretation as well, which I appreciate. I appreciate all of these things, but it suddenly just started occurring to me that, that there were some practical things about the Sermon on the Mount that I could actually use in my own life as I was trying to improve and be a better person. So that's what I want to talk about today. That's okay. Perfect. So I, I tend to um, start the Sermon on the Mount at the back 
of uh, chapter five. Um, in if you're in Matthew or at the back of chapter 12 of third Nephi or wherever. And I, I tend to look at it from the ultimate goal, which is perfection. And so I love to start back there and, and look at the verse that talks about be therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven is perfect. The third Nephi version kind of gives us a fun uh, addition to that. Uh, with reminding us that even as I or your father who is in heaven is perfect. So we'd like to realize that even Jesus wasn't perfected till after his resurrection. Right. Um, and that's really important for us people today who struggle with perfectionism or toxic perfectionism and think that we have to become perfect before we die, which is not true. And yeah. the Sermon on the Mount really, really brings that out. But because um, Jesus kind of ends with the ultimate goal, I like to read the Beatitudes, which is where I'd like to spend our time as Jesus's very helpful um, advice about how to be perfected. So he wants us to be perfected. He wants us to be perfected in him, as we know from the Book of Mormon, but he doesn't just leave us hanging there about how do I go about doing this? And so as I read the Beatitudes, it suddenly started occurring to me that there was some really great advice about how this works and what I will experience as I'm being perfected. And so that's the part I'd like to kind of share with your audience on how Sounds to Sounds good. Yeah. So if we can just start with verse three, um, and I'm, you know, the JST and the Book of Mormon add some things to the Sermon on the Mount in kind of the preamble and the explanation, but I'm not going to cover those. Let's just jump into what most people know as the Beatitudes in verse three. Um, and so he starts off with, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the JST and the Book of Mormon both add, who come unto me, oh. theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, that's really important because the perfecting process happens as we come unto Christ. We don't just do it on our own. Right. Um, yeah. It does you no good to just be poor in spirit <laughs> and do nothing about it. Exactly. It's when you realize you're poor in spirit and you go yeah. to the source for fixing that. And, and I think that's yeah. kind of inherent, even though it may not be added to a number of these others. I think it's inherent in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Harold B. Lee actually did a lot of teaching on the Beatitudes, which is fun, but he's, he's made some important um, interpretive comments. And so I just want to quote him. He said, the poor in spirit means those who are spiritually needy, who feel so impoverished spiritually that they reach out with great yearning for help. So I love that recognition for where we need to start in the perfecting process. It's there with recognizing that we're weak in something, that we're lacking in something, um, that we don't have it all together. And and we need to bring those weaknesses to the savior as, as Ether teaches us to do. You know, I'll point out your weaknesses, I'll help you with them, but, but bring them to me. Right. And then I like to point out what the blessing is. Each beatitude has a state of being, the poor in spirit, and then gives you some advice, come unto me. But what's going to happen is I do that. And in uh, Matthew and in third Nephi, we see for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, that's where perfected people are going to be dwelling. And so you, you get this recognition that that the kingdom of heaven is for the spiritually weak. 
it's not for people who already have it. It's it's made up of people who've acknowledged their weakness and are bringing those weaknesses to Christ. That's what the kingdom of heaven is made up of. So that's an important place to start for me. And then I noticed as I was reading this, when you kind of verse four, and and I'm just going to follow the the third Nephi text, if that's okay, just so I don't have to keep inserting everything. I love the Matthew text too, but this one just has some of the extra pieces, but it says, and again, blessed are all they that mourn for they shall be comforted. So once I have acknowledged a weakness, I'm going to feel badly about it. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be sad that I'm this way. Um, and that I, I'm sorry that I haven't figured this out. And this is this godly sorrow that we can feel. It's not this, um, tearing myself up to bits and beating myself. It's just a, a recognition that this problem, this weakness I have causes, causes issues for me and for others. And, and I feel badly about it. And, and I'd like to do something about it. Um, we find in the book of Mormon, as well as in later on in the new Testament, that when we come to Christ and we're mourning about something, we find mercy I love Hebrews 4, 6, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace of of help in time of need. So once I've acknowledged a weakness, once I'm mourning about it, then you notice what the blessing is in verse five, five, or sorry, verse four. Well, and and, uh, verse four, sorry. Yeah, you're going to, yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah. That they shall be comforted. Yeah. So, I think some of us are afraid to come into Christ because we think we're going to be chastised or turned away or condemned or something because we have a weakness, but you just watch this beautiful thing here, bring it, bring it all, bring it to me. And I'm just going to put my arms around you and comfort you. And let's, let's have a conversation about this. And and you don't need to be afraid of coming to the throne of grace with whatever challenges you have. I think that's so profound. So often we're afraid uh, of going to God or to, you know, the, maybe a, a, someone a representative of his that we need to confess to or something. We're afraid that what we're going to get is the chastisement when, in fact, we're going to get the mercy, the, the grace and the comfort. Yeah. Uh, and uh, maybe I can even just share, you know, uh, just last night. I was in a training where an, an area authority was uh, trying to teach that point, and, and he shared an experience of his when he was a mission leader, and there was a missionary that he was really struggling with and had done some really bad things, and and he was praying to know, how do I how do I uh, help this missionary? He's thinking maybe send him home or something, and the answer he got was, well, what would you do if, or what would you want a child of yours mission leader to do if they were coming to him? And he said, of course, the first thing he thought is I'd want him to reach out and love. And, and that's what he did. But I, I, to me, that's, that's how God does think of this. Well, you're my child. So I'm going to treat you that way. Yeah. And I'm going to comfort you. Now there may be some things we need to do because of some of the choices that you made, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to chastise you. I'm not going to make you feel horrible because you already do. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to start from a place of love and move forward from there. Yeah. And maybe so, I can just uh, come in a little on uh, two things about yeah. uh, where you're at and where you're going. Uh, first of all, again, I just kind of assume it's blessed are they that mourn that come to God. Right. Uh, and hopefully to other good covenant members as yeah. well, because we yeah. want to mourn with those that mourn. But I think it is you mourn and you come to me and you, you said that really already. Yeah. yeah. 
and, and uh, I, sorry, I was just gonna say I think all the way through here that that is implied. Yeah, I agree. The whole process we're doing is always done in the presence and with the assistance of of the Savior. Sure. I, I 100% agree. I think that addition in the Book of Mormon in verse uh, three should just be inserted in yeah. all the others. It's it's implied. Yeah. Uh, I would also say it seems to me that uh, this process you're talking about, depending upon kind of what's going on in our lives, um, it, it can interact kind of either way. So, for example, you may have something very difficult going on in your life or the life of a loved one that causes you to mourn. Mm-hmm. And that will make you meek when you figure out i can't solve this i don't know what to do about this i can't figure out how to move forward on my own and that creates a meekness that the two of them together will cause you to go to god uh in in mourning and in meekness saying i need help i want to help someone else or i want to help myself whatever it is i can't do this on my own please help me and so these these things interact with each other yeah. in all sorts of ways, I think. Yeah, they, they build, they're, they're very intertwined, these beautiful yeah. things. So what I like to do now is I, I've become, I've recognized I'm poor in spirit. I'm not happy about it, but I'm going to Christ with all of these things. That then makes me meek. Yeah. The yeah. humility to acknowledge. Oh, I said meek it. and I meant yeah. poor in spirit. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I you did. Meek, but That's I was okay. thinking poor, it, it will make me uh-huh. poor in spirit. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh, it, it will make me realize how poor in spirit I am. Yeah. And then that creates a meekness. So I yeah. totally did that wrong. I apologize. Okay. But, I but uh, I, again, it shows how much they interact. The yeah. morning will show yeah. you your poorness in spirit and the lack that you have that yeah. will cause the weakness. So anyway, sorry, I just you're said no the wrong, not what I was thinking. But yeah, you're fine. We're just kind of on a roll here. But yeah. but now that we're meek, I just want to, I want to read a couple of things from our leaders about meekness because in the world, meekness gets a bad rap. Meekness yeah. is not a, an understood concept. And so I just, you know, I could have picked some from Elder Maxwell and some people, but Elder Wilfred W. Anderson, just a few uh, conferences ago in 2017, he said, meekness is not a recognition of our weakness, but rather a recognition of the source of our strength. There is nothing weak about meek. It is just that when we are humble and meek, we don't elevate ourselves. We elevate God. So this process of me being poor in spirit, coming into Christ with that, mourning with Christ over things, there's this real recognition that I'm not the strong one here. And yeah. that's what meekness is about is I see where I'm at. I see that I need assistance, but I'm not alone in this. And I have divine help to be stronger and better. And I, I'm, a, I'm an, in a team here and I can be meek and still be incredibly strong. And so I just want to make sure that that's clear. We're not um, being um, somebody who's hiding in a corner or, you know, doesn't have any self-worth. We're talking about meekness as an acknowledgement that God is the superior here, not that I'm some low life, if that makes right. sense. And we cave to everyone. In yeah. fact, I would argue that it actually takes a great deal of strength to recognize and be comfortable with your weaknesses. Yes. Um, to, to be able to say, all right, I, there are some things I can do, but I I am okay knowing that these things are beyond me and that there's someone that I need. And yeah. uh, and and really, I think it's it's a sign of weakness when you can't admit that. It's a sign of insecurity and weakness. Now, we all have that. Let's, let's yeah. be clear. We're all weak like that at times, but it, we're stronger when we come to the point where we can admit uh, our, our failings. Yeah. And so I love looking at the blessing that comes with each of these steps as we're looking along. Now that I'm meek, 
you look at the blessing for they, the meek, shall inherit the earth. Now, we've already been told that the weak make up the kingdom of heaven in verse um, three. Now we're at verse six and we find out that the meek will inherit the earth, which is ultimately going to be our celestial kingdom. And so we've got the kingdom of God mentioned twice, just in a couple of different ways. But you look at who is inheriting the kingdom. It's the weak and the meek who come under Christ. It's not perfect people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that's really cool. So now that I'm meek and I realize that this is this is where I need to be, I'm in a position to be taught how to overcome my weakness. So you now move to verse six, blessed are all they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Meek people are hungering and thirsting after the change. They want yeah. to be stronger. They want to be better. They want to learn how to do the things that they're not good at. And, and partially because of perfect. all those things we've already looked at, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they have been mourning. They've yeah. recognized the lack in their spiritual capacity and mm -hmm. being. And so, so all of these things combine together to get you to that yeah. hunger. Yeah, they do. And now you're in a position and you're approaching the guy that has it all. Yeah. And you can say to him, okay, how can you instruct me and help me either through yourself or through your servants? You know, we have other revelation that comes through other people. How can I learn to develop this particular skill that I realize I'm lacking in or this quality that I'm lacking in or, or something. And, in, and then you look at the promise that comes with this, which I think is crucial for they shall be filled with the Holy ghost. And you start asking yourself, well, why does hungry and thirsting after righteousness need to connect with the Holy ghost being the, the blessing that comes to those. And then you start listing all the things the Holy ghost does. Yeah. And suddenly you recognize he's a revelator, he's a sanctifier, he um, gives spiritual gifts, he, you know, I mean, just the list of things that he does as I'm hungering and thirsting after change, suddenly the Savior's giving me the very gift I need to help change me and help me develop the things that I don't have. Yeah. And it's so beautiful that we're like now in a hungering and thirsting spot. I can learn, I can be educated, I can change, I can... Uh, move forward from my weak state and suddenly I'm hopeful and the morning is now excitement and enthusiasm for change and That's so I, good. Can, I can work well said yeah and so then I'm now going to practice I'm now going to try out new skills and try different things and now we move to the next phase which is blessed are the merciful so I, I love to stop and talk about the types of mercy that I need while I'm changing. First of all, I'm going to need mercy from the Savior because I'm not going to get it right the first yeah. few hundred times I try something new. So I'm going to need him to be patient with me and I'm going to need his mercy. But I'm also going to need mercy from others who are going to have to yeah. put up with my mistakes as I try to improve, right? Yeah. Yep. And I'm also going to need mercy from myself as I that's, try, that's very true. Yeah. As I try to, to learn something new and I'm going to not get it right. And I'm going to have to, again, be meek and humble while I make, make changes, but you watch what happens as I'm seeking mercy for myself. Then I realize that everyone else is on the same path as me. And I need to extend mercy to everyone else who's hungering and thirsting and trying to improve 
And suddenly I look at the blessing. I will obtain all these types of mercy as I'm seeking it and extending it. Mm. Um, it's so beautiful when you, when you live in a society that's merciful. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure we're in that society, to be honest. I think we're a cancel culture. I think we're a culture that is really hard on people and, and condemns them really quickly for any kind of mistake that they make. But imagine what happens when I'm merciful, they're merciful, we're all extending these mercies and getting mercies from the Savior because we're all improving and suddenly that changes the whole society to something yeah. that's patient, loving, and kind and supportive instead of condemning critical and rejection. Yeah, is, yeah. And hopefully we can work towards creating smaller societies that are that way, right? No, yeah. no one's going to be perfect, but hopefully yeah. we're working on making a family yeah. a, a place like that or even our ward or our neighborhood. Uh, I, I know that there are uh, times where I have been in need and uh, so many people reach out and uh, some of them will say, well, you know, I, I think people would have done it anyway, but they'll say, well, you know, you were there for me when I was in need, right? And it's an example of this. Well, we're we're extending mercy to each other in our times of need. And so those smaller societies can yeah. approach that better than our larger society yeah. is doing. Yeah. And, you know, that's where we always start in the, in the families and amongst friends, and then we can move that out. But it's really interesting this important component of change of having mercy and obtaining and receiving mercy and extending yeah. that because we all need it as we're growing and developing, you know, in my life, there's been nothing more detrimental than trying to be better and failing and having people kind of not allow me to try and fail and, and to not support me in that effort and say, Hey, maybe this wasn't the best moment of yours, but I, I believe you've got this and let's, let's try it again. You know, um, and so that mercy is really important. So as I become someone who experiences mercy and extends mercy, we then move on to the next transformative phase in verse eight. Uh, Blessed are all the pure in heart. And it's interesting to stop and think about what happens to you as you extend and receive mercy. It changes you on the inside. It changes the way you see people. Yes. And you actually start seeing them the way God does, the pure, pure way of seeing each other. Right. Um, I love I love the musical Les Mis because that of that one song that they've got in there and the, the kind of the concept of when you love another person, you see the face of God. And and this idea of extending mercy is the way God loves us. Mm. And mm. so as I'm transformed into a mercy receiver and a mercy giver, I genuinely change my heart. And I then can see God and others the way that he is and the way that he sees. Ah, so, so powerful. Yes. Um, what's happening to me. Yes. Um, in this. So then once I'm pure in heart and I'm starting to see myself and others and God truly, then watch what happens in verse nine. Blessed are all the peacemakers. So it's interesting to stop and talk about it. Why, now that I'm more pure in heart, am I now more capable of being a peacemaker than I was before? Well, being a peacemaker means that you see things clearly and that you can come in there and bring that love of God and kind of help out some of these situations that, that need that kind of perspective. And suddenly I can contribute 
and resolve concerns and help others uh, because I'm seeing clearly and becoming more of the type of person God would. Have Very good. Yeah. And, and in fact, I would even argue that there's a degree of being pure in heart that uh, comes from, uh, I think we're often false in heart, if that were a correct phrase, yeah. when we're trying to do things with God or others, but we're really thinking of ourselves. We yeah. have a selfish motive. That's part of what makes yeah. it so that we're we're not pure in heart, we're false. So yeah. if we're pure in heart, we've kind of forgotten about ourselves. And if if you are merciful and have obtained mercy and you're not thinking of yourself, but you're thinking of God and others, then naturally you're going to want to bring peace to this situation. Yeah. You're It's typically only when you're seeking your own uh, agenda that you don't want to bring peace. You want to get whatever you want at the cost yeah. of peace, as opposed to, okay, you see everyone and what's going on and you say, let's solve this with mercy and peace. Yeah. Now, it was interesting. Elder Vern P. Stanfield came uh, to BYU in March last year, gave a lovely devotional on on his ideas on being a peacemaker. So I was paying very close attention to that because I love this part of the Beatitudes. So I'm like, well, what can he offer? And I'm just going to share a couple of things that he offered. It was really powerful. He just said, is a peacemaker simply one who literally makes peace, resolves conflict, diffuses contention, or calms tense situations? Is a peacemaker a person who is gifted in the art of diplomacy, a good negotiator, or a mediator? Or is it someone capable of using words to bring others to their way of thinking? Perhaps all of these qualities are necessary, but I believe the Savior is speaking of another kind of peacemaker. I believe he is speaking of those who extend the peace that he offers. They act in peace pieces written on their countenances and they represent the prince of peace so mm. what a beautiful contribution to our understanding of that i think he's right i think all those other qualities of being a good diplomat and helping bring all of the negotiations nicely to a happy conclusion are important but i'd agree that the type of peacemaker i'm becoming is a representative of the lord jesus christ who can act and offer and be like him in any given moment. Um, yeah, and, and beautiful. That's really powerful. Yeah. And I like in verse nine too, what he does then, once you're a peacemaker, they shall be called the children of God. So now we have some really doctrinal fun things to think about. Of what does that actually mean? Um, and I always think of Alma, you know, when we see Christ at the end, we'll be, like him we have his image in our countenance will will become a little version of him which yeah. i think is what's going on here i'm reborn as a child of god and i literally become him uh, in my little way um and so you know look look how cool this perfecting process is it's it's making me like him so. right and and, I, and i'd say just we we could spend like an hour or two just yeah. on this topic, but That's if you yeah. if you look at um, scripturally the times that it talks about like John one or or Mosiah two through five and so on, the times that it talks about becoming the children of God, it usually is in an accepting Christ and being born again kind yes, of context, and or in and these are intertwined or in a covenant context, mm -hmm. yep. and and of course the covenant is when you are born again, so so it's all intertwined. But there is a we're all children of God, but there's a different way you become begotten new creature uh sanctified more godly 
yeah. in that covenant born again context. And I think yeah. that's part of what he's talking about here. I so. agree. Yeah. And, and um, all of this is so fascinating when you think about this covenant relationship. In fact, we didn't cover this, but the Book of Mormon and the K or the JST version of this brings in a couple verses before you start the Beatitudes that indicate that, that this is a missionary effort, that this is about bringing people to the waters of baptism and having them enter into the covenant. And then the Holy Ghost is being given as the confirmation. So you see the covenant process actually all the way through here, yeah. not just here at verse nine. But I'd agree yeah. when we become a child of God in this context, it's that reborn, rebirthed thing that's coming because of our covenants. Yeah. Very good. So then the interesting thing is, is, is in my perfecting process as I'm changing and, and learning and growing, we now have a persecution phase of the Beatitudes, which I think is fascinating. And he says here, now that you're kind of improving and being better and you're seeing this transformation, we're not going to test you. So look at this. Blessed are all they who are persecuted for my name's sake. Um, I don't know about you, Carrie, but, but change is hard. And not everybody wants us to change. Mm. And sometimes as we're trying to improve, we receive all sorts of pushback from what, well, you've never been like that before. Why are you suddenly trying to be like that now? You know, you've mm. always been this way. So I think the Savior is quite happy to allow lots of types of persecution to be part of verse 10. Of course, members of the church, we receive persecution from the world because we're different but there's also persecution from friends, family, loved ones who may just be uncomfortable with the fact that we're changing and, and being somebody else. And so the persecution phase is quite interesting because it actually pushes up against who you're becoming and tests it to see where it's at. And I don't know about you, but whenever I've learned something new and then I'm put in a situation where I need to use it, Sometimes I do really well. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm not quite there yet, but I can see the improvement I've got. And so now I can go back and say, here's some of the areas that I, I need to improve. So I don't think uh, the Savior's um, at all surprised that we're going to be persecuted for various things, but the persecution can serve a really transformative process in our changing and solidify it, help us see where things still need to change. And it's part of becoming strong in something that we're trying to uh, do. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, well said. Well and said. then, you know, we um, can jump down as he's talking about how positive the persecution is, the way Jesus was persecuted. Eventually, we'll have great joy in things from our experiences of being tested. Um, and then we jump into a couple of verses to me that are just kind of this final um, end to our change process. Uh, where he says, I've given to you to be the salt of the earth. I've given to you to be a light to this people. I need you to be different. I need you to, to make these changes. I need you to, to bring the light, the savor, the difference to your neighborhoods, your families, your communities. I need you to increase in these things so that you can serve the purpose that I've put you there for, which is to, to represent me, basically. Uh -huh. So well said. And again, we have a covenant connection because the the salt, uh, I mean, we, they're called, Israel is called at different places, the salt of the covenant and so yeah. on, or, and so yeah. on. So, uh, and I, I think that's ties together. If you, they're going to be the light and I'll also have to just say, just 
because I can't help it that it's not really a candle. It's going to be a no, lamp. But anyway, exactly. <laughs> um, but but we can think of it as a candle if that's what's useful for us. But yeah. uh, he, I think specifically this he's described the process of people who are in a relationship with him. So it can be any relationship, but most effectively and most powerfully a covenant relationship. And yeah. then he ends here in, in 13 through what's well, not the end of the whole sermon, but yeah, I think yeah. in many ways, this thought process. Yeah. Yeah with this notion that okay now that you are a changed covenant people you need to to hold be a light and yeah. then we know he says elsewhere he's the light that we should hold up uh to to bring others to me and that's that's the role of the covenant people to get others to come to christ so christ can bring them to the father so right. uh i think that really what he's saying is now that we have you changing Please go help others to change, others. bring yeah. them to me so that I can change them like I changed you. Yep. And then we can all go be one with the father together. Exactly. You know, and I, I will jump into with the KJV. The KJV loves to change words into words that were more familiar to their particular culture. So right. candle is not what we have in the original. We have a lamp, obviously, but back in the 16th century, they don't use lamps. They use candles and so, yeah. so we get that but the point is you need to put your light up where it can be seen and so you can invite other people to come experience the joy of this changing process um, and the other thing i'd like to add too every time i change and improve my light increases my ability to draw people to the savior increases but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. And that doesn't mean I can just sit here and say, hey, I don't have more changing to do. I do. But what's on the other side of the light is blessed are the poor in spirit. Hmm. And here we go again. And right. I can change any little issue, problem, big or small, by repeatedly through my life going through this transformation process. As we know, repentance is a process. It's not an event. We're going to do it over and over and over, sometimes for the same trouble over and over and over. Yeah. Um, and so we need to stop feeling bad about the process and realize that it's right here, worked into the scriptures everywhere, that this is a repeated experience. And I can be reborn about a lot of things over yeah. a long period of time. Yeah. And it's the joy of, of being in a covenant relationship with the Savior is I'm going to keep doing this until my light is fully, fully bright and, and I've accomplished all things, but that's going to happen long after I've left this life as yeah. well. So. Yeah. And that's yeah. important to remember. That's fantastic. Maybe I can just throw one other uh, a twist in here. I'd love your feedback on this is something I've been thinking about for, for quite a while. And uh, I, so I agree 900% with what you say. And this is just uh, maybe a, a, another angle to look at exactly yeah. what you've been talking about. Um, and I, I first started to think of this before I was really thinking about covenants as much as I have lately, but as I was thinking law of Moses and so on, and we often talk about the 10 commandments that you've got this first bunch that are about your relationship with God. And then you've got the next that are your relationship with others. And we, we think of that in terms of love God and as the first great commandment and love your neighbor as yourself as the second commandment, which I've come to understand, well, that's actually our obligation of the covenant. The covenant is about creating a connection with God vertically and a, co a connection with all the other covenant people horizontally. Yeah. And as I look at these, uh, I look at, say, verses two through um, seven in many ways are about our approaching God and creating yes. a relationship with God. Yes, I mean, is. there's an element of mourning with other people, but I think this yeah. is about your mourning and you come to God. Yeah. Um, and so the, all of those first ones are about 
ways to and reasons for approaching God and establishing uh, even stronger that connection you have with him, that heightening that relationship. Then we get, we'll come back to verse eight in a second, but, but verse seven, uh, mercy is about your relationship with others. Peacemakers are about your relationship with others, the way you interact with people who are persecuting you, uh, and whether you stay true to God or not in the midst of, of unstable horizontal relations. Uh, so all of those others, that second bunch are about your relationship with that, that, uh, horizontal relationship, your relationship with others. Um, now, pure in heart, you can argue can be either way. And as I said, it's it, it's a little bit about whether you're approaching God uh, from a selfish point of view or not, whether you're interacting with others from a, a selfish point of view or not. It, it, really, you have to be pure in heart for any of the other Beatitudes to work. Uh, if you're doing it for a false reason or a false or selfish or whatever, it, yeah. it just doesn't work. So it kind of permeates all of them. But in, in this case, I think a lot of it is about um, how you, well, it is about how you approach God, but also yeah. how you interact with others, whether you're doing it from this, this, uh, selfish non-pure motive or not. And so I think we see this kind of pattern and, and you even get it a little bit later in the sermon on the Mount where Christ says, if you're going to come to me and you realize you've got a problem with someone else, you better go fix that. Right. And I, I think that, that as we've said elsewhere, when we talk about covenant or the, the 10 commandments or something, this is a cycle that builds on each other. The more you love God, the more you'll love his children. And then the more you love his children, the more you'll end up loving God. And it's just a cycle that builds on itself, this kind of pattern to perfection that you're talking about so that you you won't really be able to approach him in pure heart if you have a problem with someone else, but you won't really be able to help others if you're not really coming to God for help to be the kind of person that can help them and so on. And so there's this uh, cyclical aspect and covenant aspect that it's, I don't think is different than what you're saying i think it's just a a little bit of a another facet in what you were already talking about yeah and i love that um i think you're absolutely right the the vertical horizontal is clearly present here and what's interesting is as i get myself right i become capable of becoming more right with others yeah and and so you you know it's john that says you can't say you love god and say i hate my neighbor and you can clearly see this here i can't just have a relationship with god and then pretend that everyone else is not a part of this i mean it is we're a community but the way i come unto god and the way i relate to people are absolutely connected yeah yeah we're not hermits for a reason no no and so so I, i love that um you know, and I just think for, for our day and age, especially, you know, as we've seen, toxic perfectionism is one of the challenges we have yeah. as members of the church, especially this rising generation that they're so dedicated, they're so faithful, they want to do everything right. And, and that can become a real problem if they don't come and look at the way the Savior teaches about the way we're perfected. And, you know, it's line upon line, it's a little at a time, it's a cycle it's um, going to take us time. We're going to have repeat issues. We're not going to get things uh, perfectly right the first time. And and that needs to be a message that we teach so that, that we can kind of reduce this toxic perfectionism that people have. And that it's okay that we're all in this transformation process together and that we can be patient with each other and that we can let people learn and develop once we understand the process that this is how it kind of is going to feel. Um, and then as it's happening to me, I can feel really good about it. Um, and even though I don't have everything solved, I can feel really good about what's going on. 
here and the process I'm going through. And, and then, as you said, that helps me relate to my horizontal friends um, and, and be kinder and more patient with their perfecting processes too. Ah, that's, that's a good thought and, and well said. Well, thank you, Jan. That's just uh, good, clean fun. I always like to say that's just good, good fun. And I, I know I've been uh, inspired as we've been talking together to, to kind of double down on this process and be patient with myself, but be more dedicated to it. And I hope that our, our audience has and be more patient with each other as yeah. we go through it, not, not, not to be too scrupulous or, or, or perfectionist, but to, uh, to, to approach it with hope and enthusiasm and, and love, yeah. uh, uh, recognizing the mercy God will expend to us. So I hope that that's, uh, happened for everyone who's listening and, uh, we're just grateful that you would share it with us. Thank you, Jan. Thank you. Yeah. It's been really fun. And, you know, I just hope people can, can just, um, maybe have more joy in the journey, you know, yeah. this is the journey. Um, take a little bit of the pressure off. Of course, we don't ever want to become complacent, but we want to be, you know, pressing forward in faith and, and working on things in a positive, healthy way um, and allowing others to do so as well and, and enjoying the gospel and have it be a joyful thing and, and not this, you know, negative burden that we sometimes have of there's too much to do and I can't. Yeah can't do it and, yeah. and if we, I, it always saddens me when when we kind of approach the gospel in that way yeah i, I hope we can just approach it and god wants me to come to him he's showing me the way let's yeah. just come and he'll work with me as i do it yeah, yeah. yeah. well thank you jan uh, bless you and bless our audience and we hope you all have a, a great day yep